Hello and welcome to Frameline. I'm Barbara Gosofsky and I'm here with my favorite co-host, Courtney Small. Hello, how are you today? Good, how are you? Uh, not too bad. So here we are, show number four, covering the 2019 edition of the Toronto International Film Festival. And yes, this is the wrap-up show, um, but we do have uh, an interesting interview that you you need to listen to because, you know, this filmmaker came in from out of town, from South Africa. And so here's where, where you get to hear, uh, you know, someone's point of view on coming to Toronto, coming to this festival. And it's not my interview, so I'm not <laughs> even going to introduce it. I should I should stop there because that sounded like an introduction. To well, me. no, it's a, it's a perfect <laughs> introduction. And, um, it's I had a chance to speak to Jamil XT Kupaka, and I know I've mispronounced his name. I've been practicing ever since he tried to give me instructions, but he is a um, famed South African director and his new film, Knuckle City, just got announced as the entry, um, South Africa's entry for the Oscars. And I think his last film, I believe it was last year, uh, so the winter into my skin also was South Africa's Oscar nomination pick. So he's... One to watch, eh? One to watch. He makes uh, really interesting films and he was a great person to talk to. Mm-hmm. And he brought his whole cast. Yes, that was a, su- a surprise. <laughs> a pleasant surprise. Yeah, a pleasant surprise. It was... <laughs> All right, shall I play it or sure. do you want to say anything else? No, that's about it. The film, Knuckle City, is essentially about two brothers who their lives take different paths. One's a, a boxer who's kind of at the decline of his career and the other one is a gangster. And due to circumstances, they, you know, they kind of go down a, a dark path and, and put their family in jeopardy. All right, so we are here with director Jamil XT Kubeka. Did I pronounce your name? Kubeka. Kubeka? Kubeka. Okay. No, that's good. That's good to know. I was and I love how you have like the Black Panther notebook. Yes, so I am, uh, for our listeners, I am rocking Tiff with a Black Panther notebook that my wife and kids got me. So they know usually around this time of year when the festival Pretty comes, cool. I'm not home as much. Yeah, I'm not a, a good father, as we're gonna oh. probably get into discussion. So they give me there's little also, notebooks. There's also remember. something called fatherhood guilt. It that is true. Go away, whether you're there or not there. It, it is festival guilt. So I use it for like taking notes and um, just various yes, things that I have to do for the festival. Yes. Uh, but thank you for taking the time and for your your cast. Thank you for for being here and yeah, uh, sitting yeah. with me. Thank you for the interest. Well, one of the things that really struck me about this film is its depiction of manhood. Mm. And the way that it is both timely and timeless. And what I mean by that is the way that your characters have their vision of of masculinity and manhood, some would say, is is flawed, is misguided. Because they've, they've taken the the worst of their father's impulses. Yeah, yeah. And in this era when, you know, we're really putting masculinity under a a microscope and trying to re-change the the standard definition of masculinity, I just want to know why you felt like this was the time to bring this particular story. Um, Well, if I look back, this is my fourth feature film, just Mm -hmm. in terms of context for uh, our listeners. Um, And the third to, to have the honor to come to this festival. Which is, I mentioned that not to brag, <laughs> but to, to, to say that I've been able to at least engage audiences on a humanity level, not just around the conventions of back home and what we understand culturally to be our scope of experience. Um, 
I always enjoy coming to this festival with my films because you're getting a very eclectic audience. Yeah. Uh, the Toronto audience is from all over the world. You can make that, uh, that statement. You know, um, There's not that many places in the world that can say that. Even intellectually, a space that allows you to be who you are and engage a piece of art based on wholly who you are, uh, where you come from. Um, so I appreciate a, a, a Toronto audience. Um, this particular issue for me, if you, uh, if one looks back at the thread of, 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 of the films that I've made, yeah. it, it's a common theme. I would actually make the, the statement that all of my films deal with this particular issue. And I think it's because I fundamentally have insight in it. I'm a man. Yeah. So um, I'm also an entertainer. So I'm using my craft to, to engage my own uh, manhood in terms of its own uh, um, contradictions. And I think it, in so doing, I'm hopefully putting a mirror in front of every man who sits and takes the time to watch my film. Um, yeah, and that's essentially, I think, the immediacy of the situation is that we need to have such discussions. And I, but I feel for for this particular, for, compared to your, your last one, yeah, it's it's a far more physical and dare I say brutal, not necessarily in a bad way, but just in terms of what the characters go through. So yeah. for for your cast, yes. what was that like having to confront that aspect of masculinity in your performances? I'll just sit back. <laughs> yes, gentlemen. <laughs> well, before you even do, I would make an argument that the question is relevant to your character too, I because I yeah, yeah. My next thing is going to be about the, the women in the role because you can't right. talk about masculinity without talking yeah. about uh, womanhood and femininity. Yeah. Yeah. Um, we're, you know, masculinity is in an interesting place in the world, as Jamil said. Uh, we really are, we should be taking a moment to take, take a step away and look from the outside in. And I think the whole world is looking at us as men, and I think we're under a magnifying glass as men. Uh, and this film shows you, man, but it shows you in the, as, as masculine as all these men are, they come home to this incredible woman who actually holds it down, who is the beast, who's in a wheelchair, but when she speaks... Because of a man. The, yeah, but these two motherfuckers listen, you yeah. know what I mean? So it shows you how femininity is so important in our society, but a lot of the times, I'll never forget my grandmother used to say, oh my God, these men think they're in control, but actually we're in control because we let them think they're in control. Uh, and I think this film shows you how masculinity is, is, is poisonous at times, but it, it, we just need a balance, and an incredible balance. And I think it's a privilege to be a man, and I think to, to be able, just like white people need to be able to recognize their privilege, men need to recognize their privilege, but it takes a lot of policing, self-policing, to be able to recognize that you are privileged to be a man, but we need to fix ourselves, we need to, and I think it starts with every individual man. And this starts conversations. Just not for me, I think it's, it's, it's the foundation. You know, I always say where we come from. You know, how you build yourself as a, as a person. It has an impact in your upbringing, in your life. And if I look at the two characters, I always feel like the, their upbringing, it, it, it makes them who they are as characters. You know, and, 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 and often the, the society looks at men in different ways, we judge, we quickly to judge, but not knowing the roots of individuals and the characters and the backgrounds where they come from. So personally for me, what is happening behind the doors of this family gets to be judged by the community at the later stage. Yeah. Um, 
what is saying, um, I'm from I'm from Delft in Cape Town. Um, where I'm from, there's a corner shop where every little boy they stay there after school, uh, and over the years different boys stay there and they become gangsters from staying in that corner but when they when, when they go home they are different people yeah uh, they are people when you report them their parents their parents will be like no my son would never do that so this film kind of reflects that in terms of masculinity and, and our characters yeah and to to get to you as they've mentioned there's two sides yeah. in this film there's the aggressive I would say street side, the, the edge side, and then there's the home life. And there's a lot of contradiction when the two collide, especially for, for your character, especially Duke. Is, yeah. You know, you are very much want to keep the order of the house and the role and keep the purity of the women in the household, whereas the men are out on the street doing a lot of different things. So what did you take from this film in terms of the, I guess, the impact, the messaging, the portrayal of women? Um. I mean, personally, I, I, I understand violence. I understand domestic violence because that's the reality in most of our homes, you know. Uh, um, and it was the difficult thing for me to get into the character because I've already made up my mind as me, Faniswa, that I do not want to be part of that. So, but for me to play the character, I had to understand and also reflect on from what I know because what I'm saying when I'm looking at it is what I want to change and shift it's not necessarily what I know yeah. and for me that, that that's what that's what becomes the the, the um, what you call it the, the, the clash between what I know and yeah. what I want to shift those are two things um, which becomes also for me as a person uh, go through like emotional highs and lows highs yeah. and lows you know um but then the actor in me has to kick in and like you have to love the character you have to find what it is about this character you know um why is she the way she is and ultimately she's a woman who was in love with this man who was abusive and she stuck through it all these years but then she was um, bringing up kids who were watching that that's what they know yeah. do, do you know what I mean so it's it's. Um, but she's not necessarily a, a bad thing she's not necessarily a bad person because that's that's what she knows Yeah. but another thing that's interesting about a lot of these societies um, my young brother is a taxi driver drug addict criminal my young brother but he received the same beatings grew up in the same house, yep. same parents, same everything, and now he's a... So a lot of the times, it's about choices. Personal choices. There's yep. personal choices, and a lot of the times in this in this day and age, we do take that away from people going, there's choices, like mm -hmm. you can't be... Life's come to choices. And you can see, life comes to choices, because there's a bad in him, but he's actually picked more of the good, but there's a good in him, but he's charming as hell. Yeah. So you, but life's about choices, and like my brother made his choice, and I've made my choice. So I bump into him sometimes, I'm like, hey, here's... Here's two dollars. Go buy yourself McDonald's. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But he's, he he's has still the had, same. He's still yeah. exactly the same. He had, he had all the opportunities that I've had. And it's mm -hmm. my choice. But also the, the choice also is, is affected by what kind of people and places that you, yeah. you put yourself in the corner. Mm -hmm. Chances are everyone that goes to that corner is gonna be a gangster. Do you sure. know what I mean? She yeah. she chose this man 
Yeah. But but last thing, last on this topic. But in the town, in the areas that we all grew up in, if you try and be good, you could get killed for trying to be good yeah. because you're trying to look better than they'll kill you. Yeah, for you're that. not fitting in with the so uh, the norm. So a lot of the kids get into into gangs and because you're safer there. And currently in in, in South Africa, I don't know, it's initiation season uh, for gangs for gangs. So a lot of girls are getting killed, murdered, and raped because part of the initiation is to get a girl, kill her, and rape her. Yeah. Or, and it's been it's quite a mess at the moment. So even trying to be a good person back home sometimes can be dangerous and brutal for you. Yeah. So how do you get to the point where you're all actors? You've made a choice to to take a different path despite the obstacles around. So what were some of the things that helped to push you towards the realm of acting? Oh, that's easy. If I can answer yeah. for myself, personally, mm-hmm. it's a self. Yeah. That's what all these kids are missing, a sense of self. It's been eroded, obviously, institutionally over decades of time, um, you know, from uh, 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 um, colonialism to apartheid to now a self-genocide, if there is such a word. Uh, or term. Yeah. I like that. It's, it's, yeah. it's a sense of killing yourself because you don't know yourself. Nobody wants to take the responsibility of being. But how do you find yourself if you've never been taught to look for yourself? Well, this is the thing. <laughs> yeah. Which is yeah, why, that's... hopefully, you know, thank goodness, even with the medium that we have, mm. the arts, hopefully you put images in front of people and they can start to grapple with self. Mm. This thing is, uh, you know, life is not an easy thing. It's about a grapple and it's about a fight. And that's why these kids gravitate towards drugs. Because that's the yeah. It's easy to be high all day mm-hmm. and not have to grapple with self. And especially in an environment that doesn't affirm self in any kind of way. You know it, man. You know, um, yeah. There's no ghetto anywhere in the world that says, hey, you are somebody. Every single ghetto is designed by design. Mm-hmm. says you are nothing and you're nobody. So anybody who grows out of a ghetto has to fight that first before they find themselves. His character... Mm-hmm. Anyway, preach. <laughs> no, no, that's very good. And one of the things to, to kind of keep on this theme about self, one of the things I really liked about this film is that all of these characters are complex. Yeah. There's good and bad. Even when Duke is doing something really horrendous on screen, you love him. You still love him. You still, <laughs> you still want the best for him. Yeah. yeah. Right. When the boxer's at the height of his thing and he starts to fall down, you still want to see him rise back yeah. up. So was that a lot of that from just when you were writing it or was it in collaboration with the actors that you guys found that kind of perfect medium? Well, it's always in collaboration with the actors. You know, um, the, the writing is a map. It's like, hey, there's treasure somewhere. Let's go on a quest and look for the treasure. Mm. But somebody has to go on that quest. And that's what each individual actor does. You yeah. know, they, they go. So, and I just follow them on that quest. So um, setting the map for the quest it's essentially looking at it and being being open, being honest with self and trying to be open enough to receive what the material is is, is, is giving you, what I, it's telling you. I think Jamil's been very, I think Jamil's been very modest about his, his working environment. And I'm gonna jump in and say he's been very modest about his working environment. Uh, back home in South Africa, we, we, we have the privilege of working with international uh, uh, directors, international producers. We've all done international work. And one of the best 
environments he creates. It's an incredible working environment. Uh, sometimes I don't even feel like he knows how conducive it is for actors to be in his space. Because even me, I watch what I've done and I've gone, I do that? Because he's given us an environment that, that's conducive yeah. to creating magic. So. He's, he's really underplaying his, um, his role in, in all of our performances, but it, it, it really is, no, jokes aside, it really, he creates a space that is so conducive for the actor to create magic, and you can see it there. During set, he was losing his voice because he, he wants to give everything and more to this guy, you know what I mean? You get into set sometimes when you feel, I'm fit, but I feel unfit because I'm trying to give him all of me, yeah. and then sometimes while you're shooting, you start disliking him, because you're like, I got no more to give, and he says, no bitch, you got more to give, and then you give more you know what I mean so it's a conducive space and some of the best uh, uh, directors in the world sometimes don't have that you know that that way of making the actor feel like I want to give everything to this guy yeah. and that's what he creates I wonder if he knows how he creates it that's another question in itself. <laughs> I don't think it's a creation more than a, uh, an opening yeah at best I can take uh, credit for opening doors of intention but really, it's, it's, it's what the beast unfolds. And that beast for me is character. It's yeah. wearing those shoes. When that happens, I step back. Yeah. All I do after that is a, a caroling from behind, literally, and be yeah. like, hey, yeah. man, don't be this person that you are. That's the <laughs> most one can do, because essentially, that's when I, 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 I'm in complete awe of what actors do. At, at one point, <laughs> boxing, Boxing, you do three three minute rounds, three three minute rounds, right? <laughs> three three minute rounds, yeah, right. That's boxing. You do three minutes, break. Three minutes, break. <laughs> three minutes, break. You made us do fight scenes for twelve <laughs> hours, wow. and at no point did me and him ever think. It's tough. We can't do this anymore. <laughs> and then when we finished our scenes, he said, I, another hour and a half for my scenes. But we wanted to give it to him. We wanted to give all of because we knew he was there for us. You yeah. know what I mean? And he was there doing that, but we wanted to give all of yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. And it is a very physically demanding role. Even even you, you're not in the boxing room, but you still have a lot of physicality as well. Yeah. Very physical role. Yeah. Yeah. Even, even when we were staying in East London uh, for the whole month, for the whole month when we were shooting. So even when I'm off, I'm not shooting on the day, I would go to set because it's a nice place to be in. Mm -hmm. Just to watch other, other actors. Mm -hmm. Oh, that's great. Mm -hmm. So if, for the last minute, just wrap this up. Um, again, thank you all for taking the time. Really appreciate it. If, if cinema's goal is to like change the way that we see the world, mm. what do you want Knuckle City to, for, to change the way how the world views South Africa or South African cinema? In relation to South African cinema, um, I think in terms of our growth, um, for quite a long time there's been a preoccupation with the tool. Um, and rightly so, it's a relatively new tool to us, you know, we were kept away from such things uh, on, for a specific reason. Because essentially um, the tool is about expression, it's about storytelling. And I think we're catching up. Um, we're no longer preoccupied with the tool anymore. Yeah. It's taken us a bit of time, you know, relatively a young nation. But we're now starting to be preoccupied with story. And you're seeing it more and more. You're seeing more South African films that are, are, are of a whole other kind of milieu. And it's not just what we're doing. Yes. Other people are doing it too. Um, 
and for me it's that it's it's the industry is is, is growing up the filmmakers are growing up mm-hmm. in what they're making so they're becoming more astute in in how they u- utilize these tools to express themselves yeah it's wonderful well thank you again thank you thank you and that was my conversation with director Jamil XT Kubeka, and I'm going to still continue to practice pronouncing his last name until he comes back with his next film. Um, and again, his film was Knuckle City, which was playing here at the Fest, and it's actually been very well received by audience and, and critics, so that's great. Mm-hmm. And once again, we should point out that it is South Africa's choice for submission to the Oscars. That's right. So that... Uh, that's something to consider when you're watching it. It's that good. Yeah, okay. and his cast was uh, just delightful to, to talk to. Very engaging. I know. They sound like fun people. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm jealous. <laughs> <laughs> I wish I was there with you. <laughs> okay. So, yeah, we're wrapping up TIFF uh, 19 right now. And uh, so besides that film, there's there's so many films. That, that I mean, you know, I think we showed through our enthusiasm over the past three other shows some of the things that really, um, really uh, we found interesting, exciting, um, you know, all the best adjectives assigned yep. to those. Um, but there are, you know, I think there's some bigger ones that we didn't even touch on. Yeah, a lot of big name titles that we did see. Uh, we just yes. wanted to give a lot of the, the smaller work. Um, a little extra nudge. Yeah, first. yeah, and I'm especially happy and proud of us that we gave uh, so much attention to the Canadians because uh, you know they could use the the little bit of extra attention mm-hmm. because people forget. Even in Canada, people forget that you know yes, you've got to go see Bong Joon Ho's new film, but we've got a lot of talent here. And uh, so, speaking of Bong Joon-ho, I, I'm pretty sure that's my favorite film of the entire festival, Parasite, which won the Palme d'Or at uh, this past Cannes Film Festival. Yeah, it's a, it's a wonderful film. It's, it's a blend of genres. It's fascinating. It's funny. It's dark. It's got a lot of social commentary. Yeah, it's about a poor family that sort of slowly worm their way into the hearts and home of this very rich family. So talk about the divide between rich and poor, and it, it it's really quite revealing uh, uh, about you know that relationship and uh, the problems and uh, sort of the the the. You know, I, we side more, of course, with the, the very poorest people in the film, with a family that's that's very, very poor, and it gives a, us a perspective. But it's also very much like a, a, a very comedic look at the, the relationship as well because it's very much of a so, – so I'm stealing someone's phrase, and I'm sorry, I don't know who you are, but it was very much of a – I thought it was so ap- – appropriate uh, and eat the rich scenario yes <laughs> it's like the rich are absolutely evil and not really smart but i would say that they're evil because they are for the most part clueless yeah completely clueless and, that's, and, and, and self-absorbed there's only one part uh towards the end where they're self-absorbed really really turns into just heartless and evil uh, mm-hmm. and we're not going to go any further than that. But, but they don't even get it. They yeah. don't get it. But by that point, the way that Bong Joon-ho has 
built up the the film and built up our empathy and and we're on the side of the poor people and and so their reaction even to the the way the way that it builds up we like we're more and more inside their heads and more and more inside their heads so by the time it gets to that point like we know what has to happen mm-hmm. we know we know what we would would do because yep. we're in their place um but that but the mix of genre is he's Bong is in, incredible. He is one of the one of the greatest uh, filmmakers. But um, it, you know, it's I think it started like with a, a number of Asian filmmakers who sort of acted like the French New Wave did way back in the fifties, and then they just watched like like every kind of film possible. And because they weren't watching it for you know to understand the stories, they were more getting a sense of the genre, what was necessary for that genre, what was like the, the key elements of each one, and then started, and more than the French New Wave ever did. These guys are bending and blending and all the, so this is a melodrama, a horror film, a thriller. A comedy. A comedy, a, a social commentary, uh, you know. And it all works. It, yeah, it's just seamless. That's why, you know, to me, it's it's absolute genius. Yeah, Parasite, Bong Joon-ho. But it's coming out, um, and that's the brilliant thing. And, and often why we will save, like, these big ones for the end is because um, you missed, okay, if you, you missed it at TIFF, that's okay. Because you'll see the film mm-hmm. in the cinema as many times as you like when it opens, I think. It's opening in October, I think. I believe it's opening in October. Um, if we could talk about another genre film because there's at least two here that i think i'll segue in nicely but we both saw the lighthouse yes the, the and new I film not... by robert eggers who uh directed um, the witch the horror film from a few years back and this is his new one right and i hadn't seen a, uh, the previous film so i didn't know what i was in for all i knew was that i was going to watch willem dafoe which to me is like the most joyous thing in the world i could watch the guy you know, wash windows. I, I, I don't mm-hmm. care. So I'll just go see it. And I, and I made a point of not knowing anything about it. And I hope, well, not I hope, I, I get the sense that it was very different because I wouldn't necessarily call this a horror film. Not in the way that we call them now. This one is has got more of a supernatural element to it. So it's basically two men who are tending, like, they're there at a lighthouse by themselves. It's extremely isolating. And it's only the two of them, and they don't know each other very well. And they're both very odd kind of people. And what I liked was that there was this, as their relationship grew, the dark edges of a personality Right. Mm-hmm. Um, well, you know, as the isolation is starting to get to each of them, the relationship between them starts to get more and more bizarre. So as each one descends into madness, the relationship gets its its own level of madness. And uh, what I really appreciated was the way it was shot. And in, in many, many ways, it reminded me of old silent films, that sort of aesthetic yep, yep. And if if I could connect it to very very early horror, it it reminds in a lot of cases it reminded me of German expressionism, and so there's this famous film Nosferatu, this, this German film, um, that just 
the feel of it, you know, and it had this kind of creepiness, that kind of horror film creepiness to it. Yeah, this is a what I liked about this film is it's a perfect example of a descent into madness, like visually, but also as the as an audience member, there's so much crazy things going on, and William Defoe and Robert Patterson are giving phenomenal performances that you feel. Like like you're being engulfed in this in They're this brilliant. madness yeah. as well, and your views on the characters change. I would say every twenty minutes because <laughs> yeah. weird things happen, and then you're thinking, well, "Is that one crazy? Or, is it, or am I crazy? What?" Like you know, it's <laughs> it keeps you kind of guessing to just the very end, and even when it's done, there's certain things that aren't explained, and you don't care. Like you just <laughs> exactly you've just had such a, a blast with the whole experience and. It's really a, like a deep resonant uh, experience. Like afterwards, it stays with you. Yeah, I, I'd say watch it. Don't try to decipher deep meaning the first time at least. <laughs> yeah. so just first time, just watch it. And then on maybe second repeat viewing, then you can start looking for like the deeper symbolism. But yeah. I think it's just an experience. And I will continue with the genre films because uh, Knives Out, I don't know if no, I, I Rain Johnson's latest film, uh, Rain Johnson of... Star Wars, The Last Jedi fame, um, Brick. He's done a lot of great films, and he decided to do a whodunit, an Agatha Christie-style Alfred Hitchcock uh, murder mystery with an all-star cast that has um, Chris Klein, Jamie Lee Curtis, Daniel Craig, and uh, Michael Shannon's in it as well. And it's basically this famous mystery writer is found dead on his 85th birthday, and of course, the family are the the key suspects, and everyone in that family has a dirty secret, <laughs> and a secret that could lead to the motive, including including the the nurse slash maid, and it's a wonderful film because it's funny. The mystery does keep you guessing to the very end. Like it's a very well plot out, very intricate mystery. It's fun, but there's also a surprising amount of social commentary in the film and specifically about America and the hypocrisy of the entitled and, you know, those who will hire the children of illegal immigrants and then use their parents' status as like a, a bargaining chip when it's convenient for them. And there's a lot of talk about, you know, indirectly about Trump and just the the state of America and the divide because you know there's members of the family who are clearly on different sides right. of that whole debate, but it all plays into this murder mystery quite well. So by the end of it, you've had a great time. You don't feel bogged down by the social commentary, and you know you you want to see it immediately again just to see like what clues did you miss. Mm-hmm. So that's that's a, a great film, and I saw Jojo Rabbit. Which, oh, yeah. So tell us about that. Because so, I saved that one. I knew that the press was going to be insane. And everybody's, you know, because re- even at press screenings, guys, it can get really insane with lineups and all that. So I'm saving that for when it comes mm-hmm. out. So please give us a hint. It's it's good. Like We were talking with Parasite about the blending of genres. And Jojo Rabbit does that. So it's a story about a 10-year-old boy who essentially, it's um, wartime Germany, and he goes to, I guess, the equivalent of, like, Nazi camp for kids, where they kind of indoctrinate them into the Nazi mindset and train them to, you know, basically be soldiers. And he has an imaginary friend who is adult Hitler. <laughs> but it's played 
um, by the director Taika Waititi, who's famous for like directed Thor Ragn- Ragnarok, um, Hunt for the Wilder People, and he plays Hitler the way a ten year old child would see. So very much a exaggerated version of it. So the first half of this film is just straight kind of screwball slapstick comedy. <laughs> and then the film kind of hits you slowly with like deep emotion and things happen that wow. force the boy to kind of change his perspective. Cause he's never really encountered Jewish people. And when he finds out that his mother is hiding a Jewish girl mm-hmm. upstairs, that kind of, you see like him being indoctrinated to think one way. And then when you actually or face to face with people, people yeah, that are different reality. from you, the reality, yeah. you realize you're not that different. Right? Exactly. And so what turns out starts as a screwball comedy ends up being a film about love and acceptance while still having comedic moments throughout. It's, mm-hmm. it's a really fine line that he walks, but it works perfectly. Wow. That sounds amazing. I can't wait to see that one. Yeah, it's, it was good. Um, for some more serious fare, I did see, um, a Beautiful Day in the Neighborhood, which is the Mario Heller film about uh, Fred Rogers, better known as Mr. Rogers from Mr. Mm-hmm. Rogers' Neighborhood. And yeah. Tom Hanks plays Fred Rogers. And I went into the film thinking it was going to just be a straightforward biopic about Fred Rogers. Well, life. that's what everybody was wondering before the film even opened. And they said, well, we just had a documentary about the guy. Yeah, which is wonderful. You, yeah, mm-hmm. which was wonderful. Why would you not just stop there? And now? And this one is not a, a straightforward biopic. I would say that uh, Fred Rogers is almost secondary in this film because it's about a father and son. You, you're following a journalist who's, due to his issues with his father, um, he's an investigative journalist and he's just very cranky, very cynical, and he has to do a, a cover story on Fred Rogers. And through spending time with Fred Rogers, it's more about the teachings of Fred Rogers. And you see how Fred Rogers was with people young and old. Like he talked to kids and adults the same. He, when he was talking to you, you felt like he was, you're his entire world for that, that moment. And you start to see how Fred Rogers teachings in inadvertently start to crack the hard shell of this journalist and force him to face issues that he didn't want to face. So it's a really fascinating way to, um, to tackle that subject matter. So you, you feel like it's a completely different experience. It's you, you feel good at the end, but you don't feel like you've been talked down to mm-hmm. similar to Fred Rogers himself. You, you feel like you want to face life and the challenges and it's okay that life comes with pain and yeah. hardship. That's it's, it's normal. We, wow. we, we can get through it. Right. It's so like a Fred Rogers experience for adults. It is. And there's one <laughs> moment that I'm not going to spoil in a diner where Fred Rogers is um, giving some type of instruction and then, due to the way how the film handles this particular scene, we all experienced the same thing that the journalists experience. Wow. And it's, it's, it was, it's really well done. Wonderful. Can I end Go ahead. with Antonio Banderas? Because sometimes you just got to end on a high note with Antonio Banderas. Yes. In a wonderful film. And was it Pain and Glory, the Almodovar one? Yes. The, okay. Okay, so the reason I was hesitating because it's a bio, it's a biographical, right? Mm -hmm. So I'm hesitating because he's playing an Almodovar character or basically um, a Almodovar 
put his own experiences. He wrote this film, you know, and put Antonio Banderas as his stand-in <laughs> into this. And the way that um, both of them approach this with such, um, the, you know, you know when people get, get older and they get to that uh, what the hell kind of level yeah. or sometimes you know you're you're always told that you get to an age where you just don't so, care you don't care and things just come flying out of your mouth because they're the truth well it's sort of like that's what this film is it's that experience of this artist and he's gotten all these accolades and he's yet he's still not happy and he's dissatisfied and he's really really grumbling about something that and he's holding on to an old grudge from the past and he's sort of forced to face things and even when he faces them he's still that cranky and still trying to hold on to his grudge and then the way things unfold they find a way to resolve themselves in this like really bizarre humorless humorous mm -hmm. um logical and it's it's like a human who's coming to terms with, in this case, his personality, his, his view of life, his experiences, his everything, and who he is now. Oh wow! So is it is it like Woody Allen style, where Woody Allen makes basically versions of himself for for comedic purposes, or is this more dramatic? This is is more dense. Okay. Much more layered, much more dense because this character, yeah, it feels more real. He's not a character, you know. He's a and and Antonio just like he's able in this film to infuse the character with a number of things like humor and wisdom and age and and fed up that fed up feeling mm -hmm. with an acceptance eventual acceptance of things and the way that the film unfolds it just feels very satisfying for us and it's satisfying even as you know Almodovar's films and it's like they've both gotten to this amazing place and yeah that one's coming out in theaters so I just won't say more I'll, I'll just say look forward, like, to that one. look forward to that one it's in and, and there are some scenes in it that are so ridiculously funny, mm -hmm. um, yet truthful. You know, it's just like only truth can be this ridiculous and funny. Yeah. You know, it's great. So on that note, yeah, it's been going back to reality. <laughs> yes, the reality of, of life without the festival. That's right. We're going to step outside the cinemas just for a little bit. Uh, Courtney and I are going to take a, a little bit of a break so we can, you know, get back to normal, experience life like normal people and talk to you like normal people. <laughs> and um, so, yeah. So that's it for our coverage of the Toronto International Film Festival for 2019. Thank you all for listening.